So good morning, everyone, and those who are joining us online. We're grateful and thankful to be um, getting back together and regathering. And uh, we've been able to gather in some smaller groups, but uh, we're slowly getting back to uh, having a few more people. And so you're welcome to come next Sunday. We'll continue to just uh, move forward in gathering and taking whatever precautions they would advise. And we uh, move forward with prayer and thanksgiving. So just want to mention that tonight, I'm not pos positive who is sponsoring it, but in Bemidji at the Hobby Lobby parking lot tonight, there's going to be a prayer, praise, and uh, service. Um, one of the young men who went to, well, he's, he's still young, but he's, he's middle-aged, I guess. Justin Hoover is going to be preaching, and he travels the globe preaching for uh, the Billy Graham Association. So it would be a great time for prayer, and I think they're calling it a night of hope and peace. And so that's at the Hobby Lobby parking lot. It starts at 6 o'clock. So it would be a great event for the, the body of Christ. And if you want to attend that, you're welcome. Pray for those people that will be coming that don't know the Lord, and they'll hear a good gospel message about the greatness of hope that's in Jesus. So... I want to uh, just mention um, if there was any, does anybody have a, a prayer request or an update that we could share? The, keep an eye on the bulletin and the prayer wall that we have on our Grace Chapel website. So if anybody wants to share anything, I would reiterate that. There's a man that got invited to church. His name is Ethan. And he's considering it, so we think we should all pray. Okay. All right. He hasn't been here. He's Well, before we get into uh, First Peter this morning, let's have a word of prayer together. Father, we're just thankful for your grace and your goodness, thankful for your love. And Father, we know that uh, your son Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And in our troubled world right now, across the globe, we see difficulties having happening in many cities and things that we see and things that we do not see, but we know that this is a troubled world. And we want to turn to you and ask for your help, that you would encourage and strengthen your church, the, uh, that your kingdom would go forward, and that we would stand with courage and faith to stand against darkness and be the salt and the light of the earth. Be your hands and feet. And Lord, we just do thank you for opportunities to reach out to people, to love on them, to encourage them. And Father, as we gather this morning and look into your word, pray that you would open our hearts as only you can. That you would speak to our hearts and our minds, that you would encourage us, that you would challenge us, 
that you would use your word as a spotlight, your word as a lamp, your word to uh, lead us and guide us into a deeper relationship with you so that we can reflect your goodness and your glory. And we're thankful for the opportunity to gather in your name, by your spirit, whether it's here or in our homes or in a parking lot or in our vehicle, wherever we two or three are gathered, you are with us. You've given us your promise that you would never leave us and forsake us. And we're just thankful for that opportunity. In Jesus' precious name, amen. So I want to encourage you to open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1, and that you would uh, prepare your mind for action, that you would ask uh, the Lord in your own heart and mind to cause you to think clearly and hear clearly what he would have to share with you this morning from his word I'm going to be preaching from uh, chapter 1, verse 14, and I'm trying to make it to the end of the first chapter. But as I uh, keep studying every word, every sentence that Peter has uh, prepared for us by the Holy Spirit, it's just power packed. And you could spend a long time with each phrase and each sentence. And so I don't want us to get... Um, too bogged down, but I don't want to race through it either, but I want to just dwell there and, and mine there. And I, For some reason, I was reminded this morning of uh, the gold rush in Alaska, and I thought that gold is still there because they couldn't have got it all, but now you can't just get the gold that's on the surface. you got to dig a little deeper. And so we're going to spend some time, and I want to, us to learn, and I'm continuing to learn, what does it mean to continue to dig? into God's word and make his promises my own, that I'm um, applying it to my life and I'm applying his word and his spirit and walking closely with him. So that's what we're attempting to do. And that's what we've always attempted to do as we open God's word and we open our hearts to his word. So in first Peter chapter one, verse 14, Peter writing to these scattered saints, the strangers in the world. And he says, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy, for I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. For you know that it is not with that it is was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers. But with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect, he was chosen before the creation of the world but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by overcoming, by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, 
not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living, enduring word of God. For all men are like grass, all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. I heard a story this week about a young man who was who had uh, become a Christian. And he was in his early 20s and he was really excited about his new walk with God. And so after a couple of weeks, um, the pastor said, hey, are you ready to, ready to take the step and be baptized? And the guy said, oh, yes, I'd love to be baptized. So they set up the time and got together and uh, the pastor, pastor baptized him. And when he came up out of the water, he was so excited. And he said to the pastor, he said, pastor, I'm so excited. He goes, well, why are you? The pastor said, well, why are you so excited? He says, I'm so excited now that I'm baptized, I won't be tempted anymore. And he said, young man, I love your encouragement, but for you not to be tempted anymore, I'd have to help you under a lot longer. And so just to realize that this Christian life is no cakewalk. It's not for the faint of heart. It's a journey of continuing to press in and press on in our walk with God. And so Peter's writing to these people, as we've said, they're strangers. They're scattered in the world. They're surrounded by people that are unfriendly toward Christianity. They're certainly unfriendly toward the uniqueness of Jesus. And so they're living in that environment, just as we're living in our environment. Maybe you're working with people that they are not interested in Christianity. They don't appreciate. They don't love Christ. They don't obey Christ. And so Peter's given us some instructions here, just like he did to them. How do we live in a world where there's difficulty? How do we, how do we get on with this Christian life? And so we have these instructions. And I want to, before I finish... I want to give some thoughts that were some of the overviews that I came away with a big picture of uh, some, some, if you stand back and you look at this section and these are some thoughts that came to my mind. And as I unpack the verses a little bit, maybe you'll see them, but here's one, th here's a couple of three thoughts. It will take vigorous work. It will take vigorous work of a focused mind not to lose sight of what is truly valuable. That's one of the thoughts that I came away with from this section of scripture, that you're going to have to use your mind and it take vigorous thinking to not lose sight of what is valuable. You know, today is uh, 34 years of glorious bliss for my wife and I. Okay. But as I look back over the journey I've probably forgotten some of the deep holes we were in. I remember well the mountaintops, and most of it, it, it blends together. But in your journey, you need to ask yourself, and I need to ask myself, do I still focus, and have I not lost sight of what's truly valuable about my wife, about marriage, about my walk with God? And so Peter's going to say these things, and, he, and we're going to see that. That's one thing I want us to think about in the big picture. Have you lost sight, or have I lost sight of what's truly valuable in this walk with God? 
The second one, you will have to purpose in your life to keep the valuable things, the lasting things, distinguished from and separate from the empty things. Peter talks about being redeemed from your empty way of life. Don't go back to the old life that you've been redeemed from. That's going to take focused, determined, purposeful mindset. So you set your mind on the hope and the grace to be given when Jesus Christ is revealed. Next one. Don't miss, for it must be possible to miss what's worthy of your attention by getting your eyes fixed on things that aren't worthy of your attention. So as you go through here, you're going to see some uh, definition of perishable things like silver and gold. You're going to hear his phrase, the empty way of life. You're going to hear words like precious, without blemish, without defect, not perishable, but imperishable, living, enduring, and then compared to an empty way of life. And so as I stood back and I looked at the passage, I began to think, okay, there's some things that you might miss if you get too detailed, but you might overlook if you don't get detailed enough. So as you go through the scriptures, I would invite you, as we're in Peter and we'll be there for a couple of weeks or months, just read it. There's, there's five chapters. You can read one chapter a day or, or during the week from Monday to Friday. You can read the five chapters each day. Just let it soak in your mind and on your heart and uh, consider the things that God will teach you. So. I just want to take one verse at a time, sometimes one phrase at a time. So let's start in verse 14 as obedient children. And you could spend a long time and we could beat each other up and we could say, are you obedient? Are you being obedient? And we could be looking at each other, pointing fingers at each other and say, listen, this is Peter's just saying, this is what a Christian is. A Christian is somebody who's recognizing they have a duty and a responsibility to their Lord. So as obedient children, people who, ha who have acknowledged that God is our God, we have a responsibility to know his commands and to follow them, to walk in them. And he says, as obedient children, do not conform. Do not let the world squeeze you into its mold. Do not go back to the way you used to live when you were ignorant. And that's what he's saying there. Don't go back to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Now you're supposed to be and you're getting and you're becoming informed in the promises of God, the ways of God, the nature of God. And it's going to lead you rather than being disobedient. It's going to lead you to obedience and obedience versus disobedience. One would be purposefully, intentionally looking at ways in which your life can be pleasing toward God. That's going to lead you down a completely different road than just living a life of ignorance, pursuing your old desires. And so you would be saying every day when you wake up in the morning, you say, okay, I'm a Christian and I'm a, I've decided to be a Christian again today. 
Not in the sense that I'm born again, again, each day, but my mind is being purposed and I'm pursuing a particular part, uh, a particular lifestyle, a lifestyle that is obedient to God, a lifestyle that is responding in reciprocating relationship with God. And it's going to cause me to walk a certain way. So he's he's almost like assuming since you're a Christian, since you've been born into this living hope and since you have this hope in him that gives you indescribable and glorious joy, since you are gaining the, the uh, result of your faith, which is the salvation of your souls, obedience would be a normal, natural part of the Christian life. And that obedience is going to move you away from the life you used to live. You used to act a certain way when you lived in ignorance. Now you're going to walk in obedience to Jesus. It's going to lead you down a different path. Some of us, myself included, as stubborn children, we're still hanging on to some of those things we should have been done with a long time ago. Some particular sin, some particular stronghold in our life, we need to, it's time to deal with it. It's time to let it go. So as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. And then the contrast, but just as he who called you is holy. So this calling, God calling us out of our old into the new in every area of your life. Not just uh, like the word holy is an is a interesting word. It's been misunderstood down through the years. It simply means set apart. And so God is set apart and we need to be like him. And it means that the, there's the world of the, the world, the flesh and the things that you pursue, the cravings of um, things that are horizontal. He's saying, now that you're a child of God, that's the life you should be focused on. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you have when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy, because I am holy, says the Lord. So we're a future-oriented people as a Christian. We're not to get bogged down in the past or even in the present, or revert to old habits. We're to establish new ways of thinking, new ways of living. Don't pursue a course of life that's in unison or in agreement with how you used to think or act. I mean, a man has to examine himself, and it says, one of the things you think, I'm thinking about these people that are going into pressure situations. Now that they're born again into a living hope, they should ponder what Peter is saying. Think clearly about how you react when you're under pressure. Because there's going to be patterns and habits of how you used to act and you used to respond when you lived in ignorance. Now you can't act that way. You shouldn't act that way. You have a new life in you, the life of Christ. You have the, the power of the Holy Spirit. And you have new tools to utilize in your day-to-day relationships if you're tapping into and walking in this new life. 
So the things that irritated you before 20 years ago, if they're still irritating you, you should stop and think, you know what, have I prepared my mind for action? Have I been looking and examining what I have of value? And am I still looking at some of the old patterns, old ways of thinking? And so um, the former ignorance is when we didn't know Christ. And when you don't know Christ, you walk differently than when you do know Christ. And that's a given. But it takes practice. It takes time to grow up in our faith. But it tells us, be self-controlled and be holy. So these are choices we make that we should control our desires rather than having our desires control us because now we no longer live in ignorance. And Peter's pointing to that. What's valuable? You've been born again by the precious blood of Christ. And holy doesn't mean sinless. Be holy as your Father in heaven is holy. Certainly he's sinless. But we should be seeking to sin less and be intentional about purposeful about our actions and our attitudes and even our motives as we go through our day. And know that what God commands to be holy, he gives the enablement by his spirit and his promises to live out what he's asking us. He's asking us to be holy because he's going to live in us and with us and walk this life out with us. And, you know, if you know anything about yourself, I know this about myself. I just don't drift toward holiness. I drift toward complacency. I drift toward being um, taking things for granted, not appreciating my family like I could, not appreciating the promises of God like I could and I should. Apart from grace-driven effort, apart from setting my mind, apart from uh, actually preparing my mind for action, I don't move toward godliness. I don't move toward prayer. I don't move toward obedience to scripture. I drift in the opposite way. That's what I've learned in this journey. I can't just take it for granted. And that's what Peter's saying here. Don't take it for granted. Move forward. J.C. Riley writes this. A holy person will endeavor to turn away from every known sin and to keep every known commandment. There's pursuit there. There's investigation there. There's, there's tension there. There's life there. There's movement there. There's examination there. A holy person will strive to be like Jesus. A holy person will pursue the characteristics, the likeness of God, humility, self-control, kindness, faithfulness. In all the duties and responsibilities of relationships. And so you think about what he's describing here is he's talking about a life in pursuit. You used to live in ignorance when you walked in old desires, but now you're born again. You're born again into the kingdom, into a relationship with God. You should represent God and not drift into the old habits. Picking it up in verse 17. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work, 
impartially live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. We have a God who doesn't show favoritism. I've been pondering this section, this phrase, uh, a God who judges each man's work impartially. And I recognize some real incorrect thinking in my mind. I oftentimes think that if God only loved me like he loves Keith, if God only loved me like he loved Bruce or Joe or Carol, but that would mean that God wasn't impartial, that God shows favoritism. But the scripture teaches us in even this verse, since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, you know what? God looks at you as an individual person. He's not doing what you do. He's not comparing you to someone else. He's loving you as an individual person. He's calling you to responsibility to be who you are created to be in his image. And it's both a challenge and it's both invigorating to think that we serve a God who judges each of us impartially. It's, I'm still thinking about it. Still, I still got to grow up into what that means. You mean that I can't keep making excuses about my lack of this or my lack of that or my unwillingness to do that or my unwillingness to do that? You just look at me in my heart and you're judging me impartially? What are the ramifications for that? What might that mean if we lived in that kind of freedom, knowing that we're loved in that kind of way? I know for me, it might lead me to give more of a wholehearted effort in living and loving others rather than a half-hearted effort because I think, well, I can't measure up anyway. So he says to them, since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. He's not comparing you to others to see who he likes best. He takes you as an individual. He knows and expects you to live differently than the world. What does God expect of you? What does God expect of me? What does he expect of us? And if you're just living with horizontal expectations, what does my boss expect me to do? What does my wife expect me to do? What does this person or that person expect me to do? You're going to be living less than how you could be living. In pressing on to excellence, in striving to be all that you can be, and to do your work as heartily unto the Lord, because you're just going to think about, well, the status quo here, I can just get by. No, we call on a father who judges each man's work impartially. So I'm starting to ask, God, what could I be? What, what did you have in store when you made this? And I couldn't help thinking, Scott, I see you sitting there. I couldn't help thinking about Scott the other day when I thought about, okay, he, he does some carving and he plays the guitar. And I thought, okay, he calls on a father who judges each man's work impartially. 
Now, he works for a carver that's a master carver, and the guy does masterpieces. Well, what if Scott said, well, I can't do that, and he didn't carve any spoons? What if he thought, I can't play the guitar like that other guy, and he didn't play any songs? So God judges each man's work impartially. You and I have what only we can offer to God. And he's waiting with great expectation. The expectation of a father who loves their children and sees potential. Says, listen, listen, what's up ahead? What you can become as you move forward in pursuit of God. As you don't get bogged down in the world. He says, as you live as strangers here in reverent fear. What could that mean? Well, you know what? Some people are thinking, nearsighted, this is it. This is all there is. You live 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years, and that's it. They're not living as in, in reverent fear as strangers on earth saying, listen, this is only the beginning. We get all of this, and we get heaven too. So if I'm bogged down right now with all the difficulties here, I need to start living as a stranger in reverent fear. Reverent fear means just awe of anticipation. And God doesn't want me to be caught up in things that are perishable because I've been born again with seed that's imperishable. And the perishable things are going to cling, me, cling to me and hold me down rather than help me to live. Verse 18 and 19, you kind of have to read them together. And I know the verse separations were added later, so they're not in the original Greek, in the original manuscripts, the autographs. But it says this, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you redeemed from the empty way of life, handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. You've been redeemed from an empty way of life. You've been redeemed from an empty way of life. That redemption came as a result of a great price, the precious blood of Christ, a lamb, spotless, a lamb without defect. And he's reminding them, your life is not your own. You've been bought with a price. Your life is precious because it was purchased by the precious blood of Christ. For you know that it was not with perishable things. And I thought, well, he used two of the most precious things on earth in man's eyes, silver and gold. And he compared them as they're worthless in comparison with the life that's bought. Right? Look at what he says. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold. Silver or gold, they're just perishable things. And you've been redeemed from an empty way of life. Empty as compared to full. Passing away as compared to eternal. Perishing, spoiling, fading, withering. 
Think about the verse he quotes out of Isaiah at the end there. Man's glory is like the grass and the flowers. They fade and they wither. There's something that doesn't wither. There's someone that doesn't wither. And he's making comparisons, contrasts between an empty way of life and a full way of life. You know what? If you're feeling dissatisfied here in your life right now, you need to ask yourself, what, what has caught my attention? What is what is my have my eyes and my heart been fixed on? If I'm gloomy and downtrodden and not filled with this living hope, maybe I got my eyes on the wrong thing and I did get distracted in the journey. And maybe I'm caught up with all the stuff I don't have. That's the empty way of life. He's talking about the empty way of life that cannot meet a Christian's needs. Maybe it's okay for a worldling, but you're a child of God. So if you're looking to the world and your past life, your former life, the empty life to satisfy you, guess what? Newsflash, ain't going to happen. Ain't going to happen. We're redeemed from that empty life. By the precious blood of Christ. He helps us to focus on a new thing. Look at what he goes on there in verse 20. Talking about Jesus. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. God's eternal plan included his own son paying his life price. His life price for you. This is now fully known and revealed in the scriptures. It was pointed to in the Old Testament, is revealed in the New Testament. This is the gospel that God sent his own son to redeem fallen man, that we might have new life in Christ. God accomplished this, it says in verse 21. Through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. Verse 22, now that you have purified yourself by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. So there's an opportunity here that obedience to the truth produces in us a, a new depth of the ability to love. The ability to love. And the word sincere, I ran across this word many years ago. And in the olden days, the uh, people that sold pottery and the people that sold marble, if there was a flaw in the marble or the pottery, they would take wax of a similar color and they would rub wax over that crack. And it would fill it in in such a way that on the marble you couldn't see it. And on some of the pottery, you couldn't see the flaws. But people started catching on to it. And they would take that pottery or take that piece of marble and they would heat it up a little bit. Guess what happens? The wax runs away. The wax melts away and it would expose the flaw. So he's saying here through obedience that our love and our actions are purified Obedience to the truth so that you have sincere love for your brothers so that your love is without wax. 
So when times get heated up, the feelings of affection are not just mere feelings, they're commitment that holds strong. They're without wax. So when the pressure comes, you're still able to love and you're still loving. And you're loving with sincerity and you're loving deeply from the heart. That's the privilege we have. That's what obedience does. Obedience can produce love, a purifying love in our hearts. If love like the world is just based on feelings and emotions, it comes and goes like the wind. Where's the commitment in that? Until the feeling goes away. But through obedience to the truth, there's a purifying that comes because God brings the heat and the heat exposes the flaws in your love and in my love and it drives us to deeper, sincere love, love coming from the heart. We go on to the next verse. Verse 23. Now that you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. Now, we've come across this basically the third time in Peter's first chapter here, this idea of being born again, that you've been born again, not of perishable seed. If you think that the human, I'm sorry, if you think that the new birth is just a human decision, based on your good judgment to make sure that you get to heaven and have a good life getting there, you're missing the significance of the new birth. This new birth, this regeneration, this living and enduring, this imperishable, imperishable seed, it describes an event that occurred in the past that has continuing effect in the future. It's the act of the work of the Holy Spirit upon the human heart and life, bringing dead men and women to life. The new birth. In the new birth, a person becomes a new creation. Old things have passed away, making us partners of the divine life, partakers of the divine life, the life of God, spiritually alive for the first time. So he's saying to them, you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable. Being born again into this living hope means that one becomes a new creation, born of God, not born of a husband's will or a human decision, as it says in 1 John, but born of God, the act of the living God upon the dead human spirit, causing it to be alive. What one becomes when one is born again is worth pondering deeply. If you're here this morning or you're here online and you don't know for sure that you're born again, it is well worth your time to ponder what it might mean to be born from above, to be born again by imperishable seed. Not perishable. Born again from heaven. If being born again is just a human decision and not the actual work of God to give new life, life that was not there before, those folks who think that about salvation, it becomes just a human decision. 
not an act of the living God on the heart of the dead person who needs to be born again and given new life in Christ. The person who through faith in Christ has repented of their sins and is in a state of continual repentance as God reveals the wrongness of our life and the rightness of his life, the unholiness of our life, the holiness of his life, and trusting in God for daily life so that, in fact, we have that life. And I just looked up the word perishable, just perishable and imperishable. Perishable, that which is subject to corruption, rot, withering, decay, decomposition. It's interesting. We were at uh, Lynn and Lene's the other day, and she had this mixture out in the garden in a tub. Um, it was cut up suckers. Those, that's a type of fish that had been dead for weeks. And it's in a bucket mixed together with other garbage. And I'm like, I didn't even want to go near it because I thought, you know, that smells so bad. That's what rot is. So you're born again. Peter's making something very distinguishedly clear here. You're born again with imperishable seed. Imperishable describes that which can't be ruined, that which cannot be subject to death, decay, that which endures forever. That's how we need to see this new life that Peter's telling them they've been born into. That's why it's a living hope. That's why we have a hope that will not perish, spoil, or fade. We need to make a clear distinction for ourselves and in our lives of what is perishable and what is imperishable. Because far too often we lose sight of what's imperishable and we're pursuing perishable things to bring fullness to our lives. And it can't be. It can't happen. Let's wrap this up. For you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. So our hope isn't in our ability and our strength to hold on to him. It's in his ability and his strength in holding on to us. Certainly we're responsible to respond to his love and his kindness and his goodness. We're responsible to be obedient children. As obedient children, we walk out. We don't live our life as we used to live before we lived in ignorance. Now we live in knowing him and walking with him and pursuing him. And it's a completely different life. So I close with where I started. It will take vigorous work of a focused mind not to lose sight of what is truly valuable. You see that? You step back and you go, oh. The empty life, the new life, what's perishable, what's imperishable. It's before my face every day. It's before your face every day. What stirs you? What drives you? What makes you happy? What makes you angry? Have you thought about what's perishable and what's imperishable? You will have to purpose in your life to keep the valuable things, 
the lasting things distinguished from and separate from the empty things. That's your responsibility. That's my responsibility as obedient children of God to continue to pursue this new life that he's given us to grow up into him who is the head. That's the Lord Jesus. So Peter leaves them with this chapter, just the introduction of this Christian life. And there's so much here that we can continue to ponder. But next week, guess what? We're going to go on to chapter two. So I would say read it a few times, ponder it, think deeply about it. Go ahead and memorize some of the verses. Go ahead and ask yourself, am I thinking about perishable things? And I'm looking for hope and joy and contentment and fulfillment in them. They can't offer it. But if I'm looking in view of what God has done in this great salvation, in this hope that he offers, then my life will be where it needs to be. Fuller, richer, more complete, more content, but always longing with hopeful expectation, looking forward to the coming of the king and advancing his kingdom. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your goodness. Lord, thank you for your word that you gave to Peter to write down, to send to these first readers so that we could read their mail, and we could hear your instruction, and we could put into practice what you're saying here, Lord, to teach us how to fix our eyes on you and to set our hope on your grace and to be reminded that we've been born again through faith in Jesus and our life is now to be focused and filled with imperishable things, even though all around us is perishable things. Lord, reveal to us so that we can be checked in our drift. Show us, God, teach us, help us to see all that we should see and all that we can see and to be all that we can be in you and in your word, through your promises. It's in Jesus' precious name that we pray. Amen. So the guys are going to come up and close us in a song.